morning. How you doing? Welcome to autumn. Summer's, summer's officially over, and uh, looking forward to, I, I like a little bit cooler weather, so this is good for me. I'm all, I'm satisfied. I know you're concerned about that, so I just, yeah. We are getting some things going around here for the fall. We just started a new series last week, and we're on the will of God, called, we call it Recalibrate, because every once in a while we recognize that we have come to a moment in life where we have to adjust things, right? We had to make some turns. I had a strange experience the other night. Becky and I were coming home, and uh, it was late at night, and uh, it was, you know, completely dark out. Down the road, I can see a ways. There's some emergency lights on, and uh, um, so I start slowing down, and I'm just going, nobody's behind me, nobody's ahead of me. It's just out, and, and and I just keep pulling a little closer, a little closer. I can't tell if there's a lane open or not where I can get around. So I just keep coming closer and closer. Finally, I come up. There's a police officer standing there. And I pull up next to him, and, and it was a little bit different because he's standing there, and he's like this. And, and, and he's talking. And, and so I rolled my window down, and I realized, oh, he's talking to me. I, I thought maybe he was praying or something. I didn't. You know, he's talking to me and he's going, I had such high hopes for humanity. And then you pulled up. I thought, what are you you talking? I think he was trying to be funny, but he's like, man, you must be dumb as a rock. You you haven't turned around yet. It's, you got, you're going to have to turn around. I said, okay, I I, I just got to tell you, officer, I, I thought maybe there was a lane open. That's why I, you know, I'm trying to explain myself to a guy who doesn't really care why I did, you know, he just wants me to turn around, which I did. And we kept going every once in a while in life, you've got to make some changes. You got to take some turns that you weren't planning on. If you remember last week, we talked about as we're trying to understand the will of God, the very first thing we should do is look at what we've already been told, God's revealed will. We should look to Scripture. We should be looking to the very first question we should be asking is, what does the Bible have to say about this, if anything? And so we should be looking to ask ourselves that question, whether it's regarding relationships or finances or work or whatever. And if there are principles in Scripture, then we need to know how they impact my decision. So great that we've been given the revealed will of God because it helps to act as a grid for us and helping us to do what God wants us to do in life. Today we're moving on. We're talking about what's sometimes called the secret will of God. It's secret because we generally don't know it until it's already happened. Sometimes we call it the sovereign will of God. And what that's all about is the fact that God's in control, right? God's sovereign, which means he is absolute. For example, the Bible tells us, Daniel 4.35, all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? No one in heaven and no one on earth can challenge what God does. No one can stop him. Interesting to think about, the one who said that was Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was a pagan king. He's not a follower of God. But Nebuchadnezzar was a guy who had sort of claimed his own sovereignty. And, and God wasn't appreciating that. Nebuchadnezzar th- thought he was a self-made man. 
And so God challenges him. God brings him to a point of being humbled. And Nebuchadnezzar then makes that statement that God's the one who's sovereign. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, but our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. He's absolute in authority and unrestricted in his supremacy. And while in some ways that sounds amazing, the normal response from a lot of people at this point is, well, they want to challenge that. They always want to ask the question, well, what about man's free will? As if man's free will is a challenge to the sovereign will of God. It isn't. You see, at the same time that the Bible is teaching us about God's sovereignty, the Bible also describes God as offering us choices and holding us personally responsible for our sins. And the fact that sin exists at all proves that not all things are the direct actions of God who's holy. So there's a point where God chooses to allow things that he does not directly cause. So God's sovereignty and man's free will both taught in scripture. And then the very next question that comes up was, well, how does that work? How can that possibly be? How can God be in control, but man has a free will? And the answer to that is the same answer that we would give regarding a number of issues. For instance, the Trinity. We believe in one God, three persons, right? One God and three persons. How does that work? I don't know. It's, it's the same answer regarding the nature of Jesus. Jesus, fully man, right? But fully God. How does that work? I don't know. Same answer regarding Scripture itself. We talked last week, the Bible is inspired, right? God breathed, it's his product. But as you read it and you look at different passages, you can tell the man, the, the man who's writing, you, you, you know his personality, you know something about him. You can tell what he's, from what he's writing. So how is that possible? How is it 100% God's word, but also reflects the men who are writing? How is that possible? I don't know. The answer is addressed in scripture though. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of this law. Secret things. See, there are things that we don't know, things that we can't fully comprehend, things that are beyond us. There's a lot we do know. God has revealed a lot about himself. And we're glad for that, thankful for that. He's revealed everything we need. But we're also glad that there are things about him that are beyond us. We worship a God that we can't fully explain. We wouldn't want it any different because if we can explain him fully, there's no, he's no greater than us. So there's a tension, a tension that goes throughout scripture regarding human responsibility and divine sovereignty. And we should be glad. We should be so glad that he sovereignly rules because that means that where we were talking last week about the revealed will, that we should believe it, we should know it. With a sovereign will, we should trust it. 
we're really talking about what we should do the entire time we're trying to determine God's will, and that is just simply to trust Him. It helps us. See, if, if we're trying to make a decision and whatever we choose doesn't work out so good, it's okay. It's okay. Because we can trust God's sovereign will. It takes all the pressure off. We can relax. It's great. We don't have to make perfect decisions all the time. We can relax. The outcome is in his hands. That, that, that doesn't mean we're careless in our decisions. It just means that we recognize the ultimate answer is in his hands. And throughout life, whatever's going on, good decisions, bad decisions, good circumstances, bad circumstances, we can trust the sovereign will of God. And here's the deal. Our reaction to his will, no matter what's going on, good or bad, our reaction is a huge factor in how we handle life. Whether we know it or not, it impacts every day of our life and how we handle it. But the, the negative thing is our reactions to the sovereign will of God often change based on our circumstances. You know, when things are going good, we're like, wow, God's good. And most of the time what that means is whatever he just worked out for me, I like it. And I like the way he did that. He did it the way I would have done it. That's, and, and there's nothing wrong with saying God's good when he's, when he's been good to us. That's perfectly right, right? We're told in scripture, every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from above from the father of lights. So we want to recognize that, acknowledge that. That's good. But then there's the other side of things. When we don't like what just happened, when things are hard, when they aren't turning out the way we'd like, when our prayers don't seem to be answered, when we face loss, even when our hearts are broken, then for some of us, the temptation is for our response to change. We're not trusting in him any longer. We're questioning him. You say, well, can't I ask why? Isn't that legitimate? Well, it can be. It's according to how you're asking. I mean, as, as parents, if you're a parent, you've, you've said that to your kids probably many times. You know, if a child asks a parent why with an attitude, we've all seen that, right? You've seen it in the grocery store. You know, it's just, it's not pretty. It's a child that needs some source of humbling. That's way different than if the child is asking why because they're trying to learn. You know, why, Daddy, why is that? That's, that's, that's completely different. If we're really searching and we're not asking with an attitude, we can ask why. Jesus asked why on the cross. But sometimes when things aren't going, people ask God why and they do that with an attitude. Like, I'm going to get in God's face. That's not acceptable. That's never acceptable. Or we go even further, directly criticizing God as if he's done something wrong. Where's God? This isn't fair. And we go through life flipping back and forth between trusting God and not trusting him. Oh, God's good. Not so much. 
Thankful for God today? Not really, not today. God's got this. Now everything's out of control. It's all in reaction to how things are going. And because of that lack of stability, guess what? Our lives aren't stable. Tough things come our way and we can't handle it. And, and that flipping on being able to trust the sovereign will of God, we flip one way and it leaves us without peace. It leaves us unsatisfied. It leaves us unhappy. And instead of finding rest like we should as Jesus' followers, remember he told us, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Instead of finding rest, we find turmoil. Something's wrong when we're always in turmoil. You want to know how you know if you're trusting the sovereign will of God? Look at your reactions, especially when things don't go like we would like. You know, when someone doesn't treat you like you think they should, how do you react? I'm going to get on Facebook and I'm going to tell, you know, when your job goes south, when your money runs short, you start worrying. Whatever the circumstances, you get angry, you get worried, you get frustrated, you get negative, you get critical. All of that is evidence that we're not trusting him. That's why we get all worked up at circumstances and people and we fall apart. I mean, we could be doing things right and trusting God one day and then boom, out of nowhere, something hits and we start all the negative responses. It's sort of like Job. You know, Job was a guy who was doing things right. We know the story. We've talked about it here before. Life was good for Job. He's blessed by God. He had family. He had money. He had possessions. He had good health. He had a good reputation. He's highly respected. He was living the life. And then suddenly, all of it's taken away. All his flocks they're either killed or stolen. All of his children, all of his children are tragically killed. I mean, can you imagine that? If there's anything that could destroy you, it'd be that. And do you remember Job's response? It was so good. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. just lost all his kids. I'm, Job's like, I'm trusting God. I'm going to trust him. Blessed be his name. Just a great response. Still trusting in spite of all that had happened. But then his circumstances continued to spiral down. He lost his health. Remember, he's covered in boils from head to toe. His painful, oozing sores all over his body. His loving, supportive wife, you know, his better half. Remember what she said, told him? Curse God and die, Job. She's a real beauty. <laughs> Thankfully, he didn't do what she suggested. But what did Job start doing? Job started complaining even complaining about being born. And at that point, he's not directly questioning God, he's just complaining. But complaining's a big deal. 
We seem to have lost that truth. It's a big issue. One, because we do it a lot. We complain about everything, don't we? We complain about the weather. We complain about our kids. We complain about our parents. We complain about our spouse. We complain about our job. We complain about how we feel. It's like we're looking for stuff to complain about. There's a lot of complaining that goes on between, with those who claim to know Christ. But there's another reason it's a big deal. And that's because it's a big deal to God. See, it's a way of showing that we're not trusting his sovereign will. We don't like what he's doing right now. So we're going to complain about it. And he takes that seriously. Think about some of the times complaining shows up in Scripture and how God deals with it. Think about all the complaining that happened on, during the Exodus. The people complained to Moses because his talk caused Pharaoh to increase things, make things worse for them. The people complained and said to Moses, leave us alone. They complained about the bitter water. They complained about being hungry. They complained about being thirsty. Miriam and Aaron complained about Moses' leadership. The people complained about how difficult it seemed to enter into the promised land because of the giants there. They complained again and again. They wanted to kill Moses. They complained again and they accused Moses of killing God's people. They complained again against God and Moses and God keeps responding to them. And finally, he responds by sending the, the, the fiery serpents. See, complaining is serious because God takes it seriously. I just finished in the class I normally teach on Sunday mornings, look at the book of Jeremiah. And at the end of Jeremiah, he's been dealing uh, throughout the book with uh, the fact that the Babylonians have invaded. And in uh, you know, it's left a terrible situation. Some of the people have been taken captive. Some of the people have been killed. Some of the people have deserted. Some of the people are hanging around, you know, Jerusalem and the area there. and They're basically starving. Some of the people have decided they're going to run down to Egypt because they think they'll be safe there. God tells them, don't, don't go down to Egypt. But they go anyway. And what they start doing they start worshiping false gods. And Jeremiah challenges them. What are you doing? And, and you know what they said? She's so ridiculous. They said, well, we won't go back and worship Yahweh, the true God, because our lives weren't so great when we were, supposed, when we were following him before. You're choosing your God based on how your life's going? They, they complain about God. And as a result, they go, they're disobedient. They go down to Egypt. They start following these false idols. And then they complain about the, the real God, the true God. And as a result, they end up, most of them dying in Egypt, never able to go back home again. God takes complaining seriously. We are given the command in the New Testament not to grumble or complain. And I think that may be the most ignored command in all scripture. That's exactly what Job started doing. He flipped because of his circumstances, but it didn't stop there. What happened next, his friends showed up from there and started hounding him about what he had done wrong to deserve all this bad stuff. You know, Job, you're not innocent. You, this didn't happen just by circumstance, just by chance, Job. It, you're happening, you must have done something wrong. Job, tell us what you did wrong. 
We want to hear all the gory details. And Job gets defensive with them. And then he gets defensive with God. And now he's not just complaining, he's actually criticizing God. He challenges the fairness of God. He says, God, I want to, if I could, I'd take you to court. You know why? Because if I had you in court, I would beat you in court. God's power and God's presence becomes something that Job dreads because he's doubting the goodness of God. The God that Job used to enjoy becomes the God Job wants to escape. And he goes on for a good bit of the book, fighting against his friends and fighting against God, fighting against God's sovereign will until God breaks in and he begins to question Job. He does that for several chapters. He drills Job question after question after question. Just want to look at a little bit of it. In Job chapter 38, verse 1, it says, The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. That must have been so, a little intimidating, don't you think? The voice of God coming from a tornado. You know, okay, you have my attention now, God. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Hey, Job, gird up your loins. We all know that picture we've heard probably described, the, the long robes they had on, they'd pull them up, tick, tuck them in their belt when they had to do a lot of physical hard work. So God's saying, Job, Job, you better get ready. Job, gird up your loins, get ready, because I'm going to, you, you do that, by the way, like a man. You get ready, because you better toughen up, Job because I'm going to question you. And Job, since you know so much, Job, I'm going to ask you questions, and you're going to, you instruct me. You tell me what the answers are. You've got it all down. You teach me. Let's just read a few here. Verse 4, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? Or what, were its or what were its bases sunk on what, excuse me? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, talking about angelic beings, and all the sons of God, again, angelic beings, shouted for joy. Or who enclosed the sea with doors when bursting forth it went out from the womb? Hey, Job, when I created the world, what were you doing, Job? Since you know Job so much, what were you doing? Who did that, Joe? Who created you or me? And when heaven was celebrating creation, were they celebrating you, Job, or were they celebrating me? Verse 12, God says, hey, have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place? Hey, Job, ever, ever, even once in your life, you ever command the morning? Because, Job, I want you to know something. I do that every single day. I command the morning. I cause the dawn to know its place. That's, that's me, Job. Have you ever once done that? Verse 16. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you understood the expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Job, 
You ever been in the recesses of the deep, Job? Kind of deepest part of the ocean. You ever been there? Because Job, I, I have, I've been there. Job, you know everything, so you, you've surely been there too. Job, you, you understand the expanse of the sky? Do you understand what that's like? As deep as you could go, as high as you could go, Job? Job, you've, have you ever understood that, Job? Because I do. In chapter 39, verse 1, there's a, there's a change here. I like this. Let's just read it. Do you know the time the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the deer? Can you count the months they fulfill? Or do you know the time they give birth? Job, hey, Job. You know, it's just a great, great shift here. God's been talking about all this huge stuff, the big stuff, you know. Creation, the morning dawn, the recesses of the deep, the expanse of the sky, all this huge stuff. And then he says, hey, Job, when the mountain goat gives birth, you there? Because, Job, it's not just the big, big things that I'm involved in. It's the tiny little intimate things where no one else is at. I'm there. I'm there. It's not nearly as dramatic as this, but I think that that's great in our lives to know that, isn't it? The big stuff of our lives, the big decisions we're making, all, all the big things that are happening, to know, hey, God's there. The things that everybody sees, God's got that. It's in his hands. But it's also the small, intimate things that no one else knows. And no one else is there. Because like, I, I got that. The, the, the feelings maybe that you have, the, the brokenness you experience, things you struggle with that no one else knows. The God of heaven, the God who created the world and sets the morning dawn, knows the recesses of the deep and the expanse of the sky, that God knows the intimate details of your life. It's great news, isn't it? our pains, our struggles that we deal with privately, the things we celebrate, our God knows. Verse 13, chapter 39, God starts talking about ostriches. <laughs> Seems a little weird, doesn't it? The ostrich's wings flap joyously with the pinion and plumage of love. For she abandons her eggs to the earth and warns them in the dust. And she forgets that a foot may crush them or that a wild beast may trample them. She treats her young cruelly as if they were not hers. Though her labor be in vain, she is unconcerned because God has made her forget wisdom. And she has not given her a, he has not given her a share of understanding. When she lifts herself on high, she laughs at the horse and his rider. Hey, think about the ostrich, Job. The ostrich... Sort of a goofy animal, you know? 
Not real smart. God's saying that here. She forgets wisdom. You know, doesn't take care of her young. She, she has feathers and wings, but she can't fly. But what I made her really good at, Job, she's really good. She's really good at running. I made her to run. And Job, you know an ostrich can run? Average ostrich, just your average ostrich, can run 43 miles an hour. They can do that close to that for over an hour. That's moving. That's the fastest two-legged animal on the planet. They can run a, a complete marathon in 35 to 40 minutes. Job, she can't fly, and she's not real smart, but I made her good at running, and she's really good. What about you, Job? What animal you made recently? And he goes on. These chapters, it's powerful stuff. If you haven't read it recently, you should go back and look at those chapters. But then Job finally responds. He's battered and he's bruised. In, in chapter 40, verse 3, Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply? I lay my hand on my mouth. We've been, we've been doing a lot of complaining or criticizing or questioning God. The best response we can have initially is to lay our hand on our mouth. There's a lot of times when we should just stop talking, right? He continued in chapter 42, verse 1, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. What's he talking about? He's talking about God's sovereign will. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? He's, he's quoting God there. You, you ask this question, and then Job answers, Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. See, complaining and criticizing God's sovereign will isn't acceptable, and our response should be the same as Job's, to repent, to turn from dependence on ourselves to dependence on him. Because dependence on ourselves is not only wrong, it is wrong, but it's not only wrong, it's also foolish. It's foolish not only because he's bigger and better than us, it's foolish because he's always good and he's working for our good. Right? You know the verse, Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things. How many things? All things. But it, I don't like what, all things to work together for good to those who love God. It doesn't say all things are good, that we would say they were good. He says, I'm causing them to work together for good. To those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. All things working together for good to conform us to the image of his son. The highest goal of every believer. 
to be more like Jesus. If everything is working us together to make me more like Jesus, if that's true, then we can rest in him. We can trust in his sovereign will. And when we become fully convinced where it's more than just words to us, when we become fully convinced that God's in control and we're also fully convinced that he loves us and is working all things for our good, that becomes our anchor. That is life-changing. It brings stability to our lives. It brings confidence. It brings assurance. It brings comfort. It brings peace. The sovereign will of God is such good news for us. We can trust it. Don't go through life falling apart. Trust him. Trust him. It's, it's, it's good. A good God, fully powerful, is in control, and he loves you and is working all things for your good. Trust him. And if you've never come to a moment like that in your life of trusting him initially to know that your sins are forgiven and that he is walking through life with you. You can do that today. Why would you not? Trust him. Come to faith in him. Just ask him. He will end your life. He'll forgive your sin, give you a new life. But as Christians today, if we're going to recalibrate, we're going to make a turn. It comes when we're able to take all that life gives us and just say, God, here it is. I'm trusting you with it. I believe in you with this. And I'm gonna leave it in your hands, God, and I am okay just as life is. I am good, Father, because of you. Trust him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, God, for your goodness to us, your love, your grace, your provision day in and day out for us. Thank you, God that we can trust you in the difficult times of life, the most difficult times, we can know that your hand is, has us and has every situation under control. God, we trust you. Help us to turn to you in those difficult times just to rest in you. Help us to represent you well in this world. Your goodness. And for those who maybe haven't taken that initial step, God, they take that today. They come to you and know what it's like to walk through life with a God of heaven meeting their every need. Thank you, God, for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.